Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13. I'm gonna read several verses and then I'm just gonna talk. I have no notes. This is not me. Jabin is that kind of speaker. That's not me. I made a decision that I just wanted to talk to you as a pastor. I wanted to tell you a story and hopefully frame the way you think about God in this area of your life. And, um, and we'll kind of get to that a little bit. So let's just read. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam. You might wanna remember that. They had hired Balaam to call down a curse on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Therefore, uh, Eliasib, uh, I'll just, just skip over so you don't become intimidated by how skilled I am at enunciating these strange things. I, you know, I just, I don't want to impress you too much up front, so we'll just skip these words. This, this priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. I'll say that when everybody say Tobiah. Tobiah. He's the main character of our text. And he provided him with a large room formerly used as to store the grain offerings, the incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians and gatekeepers as well as the contributions for the priest. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem for the 36th or 32nd year of the king of Babylon, I returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned the evil thing this priest had done by providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of our God. I was greatly displeased and threw Tobiah's household goods out of the room. That's where I got my message title from, evicting Tobiah. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put them back the equipment back in the house of the God, the grain offerings, the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites or the priests had not been given to them and the Levites and musicians responsible for the service of God had gone back into their own fields. They'd gone back to, their, uh, to work the field. So I rebuked the officials asking them, why has the house of God been neglected? Why don't we say that together? Ask that question. Why has the house of God been neglected? Why has the house of God been neglected? Really good question. A question that is asked all the time in the Old Testament, by the way. Then I called them together and stationed them at their post. Final verse. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil into the storerooms. And I put the priest, the scribe, and the other Levite in charge of the storerooms and all these other guys there too. Okay. Yes. You ready? Okay, so... Uh, just to give you some, some sense of what was happening primarily with Israel in the Old Testament is God would bless them, God would do something great in their life, and then they would get a big head and they would start to think that they're the ones who would do it. And they usually would end up in this uh, worship that would be called idolatry. Now, idolatry is a big word that we would all say, I'd never, I would never have any type of idolatry in my life, but idolatry is really an idol, is anything that decreases your passion for God or decreases your compassion for people. It's anything that would elevate things above, above people or self above God, or anything that would elevate self above others or things above God. Anything that would put things or others 
in a ca- or uh, others or self in a category above God or others. You follow me? That's an idol. And so what would happen is the idolatry was the final stage. That was the last thing where they would start to worship things. They would they would stop uh, worshiping God. They would stop um, serving God with their life. That was the final stage. But there was a few things that would happen before that. This would be the symptoms that would lead to idolatry. It's really easy. There are three things that you see all the Old Testament prophets through the Spirit warning the people of Israel concerning. The first one would be what we just read about, neglecting the house of God. Neglecting the house of God would be not putting God first in your finances. The second one would be desecrating the Sabbath. This would be God not being first in your time. The third one would be intermarriage. This had nothing to do with with, uh, different nationalities marrying each other, but it had something to do with different faiths faiths marrying each other. And so this would not be if a black person married a white person or or some other version of that. It had to do with somebody of one faith marrying someone of another faith. And God had great concern for this intermarriage because of what it did for the children. The children would end up being confused concerning their faith. And so God had a problem with intermarriage. So this was God not being first in the home. And so this was, these were the symptoms that kept showing up. God would bless his people. He would raise them up. And then they would start neglecting the house of God. He would stop being first in their finances. That would lead to him not being first in their time. They would stop, de- start desecrating the Sabbath. They would, they would put the, the, worshiping God, giving God their time on the back burner. And then finally, it would be God's not being first in their home. Those three things continued to happen and God would send these prophets to warn the children of Israel. Hey, God needs to be first in your time. God needs to be first in your home. God needs to be first in your finances. And over and over, these warnings would happen. And if the children of Israel decided to disobey or neglect those things, then they would end up in idolatry. God would end up, because of idolatry, taking them back or their enemies would take them back into bondage. Nehemiah would be considered like the second exodus. So you would have Moses who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness. We remember him. The second exodus now would not be them coming out of uh, Egypt after 400 years. It would be them coming out of Babylon after 70 years. So Israel is now back in bondage in Babylon, they've been there for 70 years, and we start reading about Nehemiah. And in the same way Moses brought Israel out of Egypt, now Nehemiah is bringing Israel out of Babylon. And so this is the second exodus, if you will, where God's trying to bring his people back into a place of blessing, back into a place of provision, back into a place of favor. Follow me? Okay, so so these... This Nehemiah character, if you will, is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit to us. He is a cupbearer, which means he's a trusted advisor and confidant to the king. Wow, I like it. What's going on? What is it? <laughs> you guys don't know either? What's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an android. <laughs> What's an android? I don't even know what it is. Okay. I kind of like it. It's making me feel all magical up here, you know, like little, like, feel like I'm in a nursery with my grandson or something. So Nehemiah 
is a trusted advisor, he's a confidant, and I'm not seeing, oh, that's the time, okay, good. Um, and he, his name means Yahweh has comforted. And so you can begin to see that, that like the Holy Spirit to us, the Holy Spirit is an advisor, he's a coach, he's a paraclete, he comes alongside of us, of course, he's our comforter. Nehemiah is a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit brings us out of our old life into a new life. Now, the Holy Spirit, like Nehemiah, is a builder. We would know that Nehemiah would go and he would build the walls. And the Holy Spirit's mission in our life is exactly the same as Nehemiah's mission to Israel. And that was to rebuild the walls, rebuild the temple. And the Holy Spirit is a builder. This is why the Bible says when you pray in the Spirit, you build up your most holy faith. And the Holy Spirit is trying to build our homes. He's trying to build our mindsets. He's trying to build our attitudes. He's trying to build his church. All these things are going on. And, and so Nehemiah is a great picture of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit comforts, leads, guides, coaches, and how the Holy Spirit is building up our lives. And so, so we would have Nehemiah. He goes into the, the room with the king and he asked the king if he can take a temporary leave of absence from Babylon, and he's gonna go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of the temple. This is a great moment where the king says, fine, you can go, you can take your people, and you can begin to rebuild Jerusalem. And Nehemiah says, but before I go, I need a letter from the king. I need a letter of authority. If anybody tries to stop us, if anybody tries to hinder us, we can just hold up this letter from the king, and the king will, this letter will let all of our enemies know, all of our opposers know that we have the right to be doing these things. And so the king gives Nehemiah this letter of authority, which again is what the Holy Spirit has done for us. He's given us the letter of the king. So we have authority to know that we're called to do what we're doing. We have the authority of the scriptures over our life. And so whenever the enemy tries to oppose, intimidate, stop, tries to, to, to in some way get in the way of what God's plan is for our life, we just hold up like Jesus and say, it is written, we have a letter from the king, we have authority to do what God's calling us to do. So, so Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and they start to rebuild the walls and they accomplish the impossible task. After 52 days, they did what no one said they would would be able to do. Now, there was this person, these people that were constantly opposing Nehemiah and what he wanted to do. And his name was Tobiah and Sanballat. These two people were always trying to find a way to threaten, to intimidate, to insult, to mock what Nehemiah was trying to do for the people of God. And so every time you see these two people, they're writing letters, they're lying, they're, they're trying to get Nehemiah to come off the wall, uh, they're, they're, they're mocking, they're laughing at, they're trying to discourage the people from this task. Now, when this was going on, the people at times would feel overwhelmed and they would feel like we cannot build the temple. We cannot rebuild these walls. It's too hard. It's too difficult. We don't have the resources. We're too tired. And when that would happen, God would send one of three prophets to help them in these times of discouragement. You would have Malachi was sent, Haggai would be sent, and then the, the third prophet would be Zechariah, and these three prophets would come, and if you read those prophets, and I encourage those who like to study the Bible to go back and read them with this story in mind, because when you read them, you'll begin to see the, the same type of things, where the prophets are saying, don't neglect the house of God, don't make sure God's first in your finances, make sure God's first in your home. Those prophets were all saying the same thing, 
encouraging the people to keep building, but warning them that they might fall into idolatry. Don't fall into idolatry because that's what led you back to Babylon in the first place. That's what took you back to bondage. So, so keep those things at bay. And these prophets would show up and they were constantly trying to challenge the people of Israel to keep God first, keep him the highest priority in their life. And so Nehemiah would have to fight against Tobiah. One point in time after he refused to come down off the wall, they hired a prophet to go and lie to Nehemiah and tell him all he would have to do, this is Nehemiah chapter six, all he would have to do was go into the house of God, close the door and hide, and he wouldn't end up being assassinated. But if he kept building, if he kept doing what he was doing, he would end up being, he would be killed. And so Nehemiah is being told, all you gotta do to survive is just go hide in the church and close the doors of the church, which is a spirit that is constantly at work in the earth. The spirit that says, hey, what church people need to do is we gotta stay, the world out there is gonna kill us, so we gotta stay in our little, we gotta close the doors, we gotta hide, we gotta look for safe and comfortable and secure. But Nehemiah looked back at that person and said, should a man like me run away? And he opened the doors and he didn't hide and he kept building and he kept moving forward and he kept doing what God called him to do. So Tobiah was the man that hired that prophet to try to intimidate Nehemiah. So you see, Tobiah in no way wanted the house of God to progress. He didn't want the people of God to progress. He didn't want God to be first in their homes. He didn't want God to be first in their lives. And he was always in some way or another working against the children of Israel that were trying to rebuild Jerusalem. Now with this in mind, we get to the text that we read in Nehemiah chapter 13. And the very first verse that we read explains to us what is actually going on spiritually. So we're, re we're hearing the story, but spiritually what we read about in the very first verse was how God had said that there would never be an Ammonite or a Moabite allowed into the assembly of God. And it says why? Because 800 years before this, the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. They had gone through the wilderness. They ended up at the Jordan River. They were about to cross over into the promised land. And you might remember Balak hired a man by the name of Balaam to curse the people of God. So they're right on the verge of the promise. They're right on the verge of destiny. And this man is hired to bring a curse on the people of God. And of course, the response was, no matter what he tried to do, you cannot curse what God has blessed. And so because of God's protection, his hand that not only saved them and brought them out of Egypt, not only sustained them in the wilderness, but that same hand, right? God makes a promise with his mouth, but he fulfills it with his hand. So now he's bringing them into the promised land. He's not just said it. Now he's actually doing it and he's blessing them with what he's promised. Now, 800 years later, this spirit that was right there at the Jordan River, this, it's a hereditary hatred against the people of God. This is a generational vendetta that you see at the Jordan River that has never left the earth. And it carried down through one generation after another, after another, after another, and then you see it show up in the heart and the life of a man by the name of Tobiah. In the same way that 
that Balaam was hired to curse God's people when they were going into the promised land, Tobiah is trying to bring a curse on God's people before they rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. Right? So he's trying to stop them. But of course, he cannot stop them. He puts all of his effort, he tries to intimidate, he tries to assassinate, he lies, he, he character assassinations going on, they're mocking, they're making fun, but nothing Tobiah can do can bring a curse on what God had blessed, right? This is exactly what happened. So the reason this is so beautiful to me, the reason this is so beautiful is because Nehemiah does accomplish what he set out to do. He does rebuild the walls. And a revival breaks out in the city of Jerusalem. The scribe Ezra would get up to talk from the scriptures and the people would stand up and they would, would praise God. It, it says this, that there had not been the kind of joy in Israel since Joshua had conquered Jericho. Think about that. 800 years, there hadn't been the kind of joy there was at this point. A citywide revival broke out. They began to love the scriptures, love the word of God, where they would, from sunrise till sunset, would, they, would, they would organize their life to be around the scriptures and the reading of the word of God. And so this would continue to happen day after day after day. That revival spread from Jerusalem, went out into Israel, into villages and cities and town, and the revival began to break out all across Israel. Nehemiah sees all of this, and in his mind, remember, he just took a leave of absence. So because he's the cupbearer, even though he's been a part of this great revival in Israel, he's rebuilt the walls, he's rebuilt the temple, revivals broke out in the city. He, in Nehemiah chapter 10, you see he organizes it all, and he leaves, and he's going back because he had made a commitment to come back to the king. So he goes back. While he's gone, different things begin to happen. He doesn't know that they're happening, but after some time, Nehemiah is back in Babylon and he comes to the king, he says, hey, I just wanna go check on Jerusalem, check on these people, see how they're doing, I wanna see what's going on with them. Is it okay if I have another leave of absence? And so the king says, absolutely. I'm imagining if I'm Nehemiah, and the last time I had seen Jerusalem, the last time I'd seen the temple, that there was a great revival, that there was a spiritual hunger, that, that people were desperate for God, that people were loving the preaching and, and, and the, the teaching of the scriptures. If I'd watched the, the people worship and rejoice with great joy since they hadn't seen since Joshua had conquered Jericho, if I, if I was Nehemiah, I would think that I was gonna come back to a greater momentum that I was gonna come back to, to something that, that would, would be jaw-dropping and mind-blowing. That's what I would think. Yeah. But as Nehemiah begins to make his way back, he looks off in the fields and he starts noticing that there are leaders and priests and, and there's worshipers and there are people that before he had left, he had put into position to build the house of God, to build and manage the move of God in the earth. He had put them all in their positions and he's looking off in the field and he starts noticing that, and I'm just gonna add you know, how I see it a little bit, but this is what he says, that they went back to the fields to work because they weren't being empowered to do what they were called to do. So he looks over and he sees the youth pastor uh, milking a cow. Huh, I, I don't wonder what the youth pastor doing. Last time I left, I'd, I'd prophesied over him to lead a, 
a revival amongst the next generation. I wonder what, and he would walk a little bit further down the, the dirt road and he would see a worship leader over here, you know, Bell and Hay. He had a beautiful voice up here singing how anointed they are. But now he's off in the fields, bailing hay, and then goes a little bit further, and there's a missionary that they had laid hands on to go and, and reach the unreached people groups and go to nations around the world and, and, and to, to preach the gospel and build churches and, and help people. All, but the missionary is, is plowing a field. And Nehemiah's confused what's going on, so he gets to the city of Jerusalem, and, and he wakes up, and it's the Sabbath day. And what he notices on the Sabbath day is he starts noticing that, that the people are buying and trading, that the, the area of commerce that on Sabbath would normally be very quiet and still, all of a sudden, it's, it's just everybody's hustling and everybody's doing deals and, and business and all kinds of stuff's going on. And Nehemiah begins to be confused of what's going on because when he left, the, the Sabbath was holy. He doesn't understand what's going on. So he makes his way to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, the, there's nobody attending the temple. And he starts noticing in the outer courts, he starts noticing that there are children playing around and the children have a, a, a dialect that's Hebrew, but they no longer speak the language of Judah. And he starts, and then he looks up from the kids and he starts seeing a man and a woman holding hands and he could tell that that man doesn't worship Jehovah. That man does not worship God. So he begins to notice God's not been first in the home. And so he walks into the temple and he asks the person that he had put in place, he wants to know what's going on. What's happening? And the person's leading him around to this place and that place, coming up with this excuse and that excuse. And Nehemiah says, show me the storerooms where the tithes and the offerings had been left. And hesitantly, the priest that he had put in charge, now remember this, Hebrews chapter nine and verse nine says, the Old Testament temple and all the things we read about the, ch the children of Israel are an illustration for present time. Yeah. So now our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So before we judge this priest too much, let's just remember it's the Holy, Nehemiah represents the Holy Spirit and you're the priest of your heart. And so he, he finally hesitantly says, okay, Nehemiah, you can go look at the storeroom, the generosity room. And he notices that there's a couch, the household goods are in there. All the generosity had been moved out, but there's, Flat screen TV. Starts going over here. There's a recliner. There's a bed. There's laundry over here. And he says, what is this? What's going on in this room? And about that time, Tobias says, this is my room now. And the Bible says Tobiah moved in to the storeroom. And when Tobiah moved in, he moved generosity out. Now watch this. Watch how it happens. Because they neglected God's house, what happened? The leadership was no longer empowered to carry the vision. 
So it started that God wasn't first in their finances. Then they started to neglect the Sabbath. So now God's not first in their time. Then it gets into their homes and now God's no longer first in their home and the result is the children are no longer speaking the language of Judah. And so the Bible says the first thing Nehemiah does. He doesn't run to that couple and shake them and say, how dare you marry each other? He doesn't go to the kids and, and, and shame them. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't go and rebuke the nation. He goes and he rebukes that priest. He fires the priest. And then the Bible says he throws all of the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. He's literally taking Tobiah's couch and throwing it into the streets of Jerusalem. He's taking that big old flat screen TV down and throwing it into the streets of Jerusalem, grabbing all his nasty, dirty laundry and throwing it into the streets of Jerusalem. He evicts Tobiah from the storeroom. And he says there's no squatters allowed in God's house. And then he sends out message to the missionary that's plowing the field and to the worship leader that's bailing hay and to the youth pastor and children's pastor that out there milking cows. He says, come back. We're going to get things right. And then he sends out message to everyone in the nation. And he starts saying, hey, it's time to get things right again. It's time to get things in order again. And he says, bring the tithes back. Bring the generosity back. Tobiah has been kicked out. And the revival that had once been in Jerusalem kicks off again. And God keeps moving. But the key was, the key was they had to evict Tobiah. And I just want to take just a moment and say, again, the three prophets were Haggai, Malachi. We hear Malachi preach a lot, don't we? But we don't think about what Mal who, who Malachi was talking to. He's talking to the spirit of Tobiah. Malachi's saying, hey, listen, God wants to pour out a blessing on you that you don't have room enough to receive, but the problem is, is you don't know how to prioritize God. And the and he's not first in your home, and he's not first in your time, and he's not first in your finances. And what ends up happening is it ends up hindering everything that God can do and wants to do in his house and in your house. And they're both connected, by the way. It's not just his house and not your house. It's not just your house and not his house. The two are connected. They two work together. To sabotage his house is to sabotage your own house. And we see it work together. And so the thing I love about um, this message is, is in the end, the Holy Spirit cleans out the things. Right? He has a way of putting his finger on the Tobiah spirit, that generational spirit that had always wanted to do what? Bring a curse on what God had blessed. That was what the spirit wanted to do. And that spirit didn't die in Nehemiah's age. That spirit is alive in our age. And the same way Nehemiah had to evict Tobiah out of the storeroom in his day, we have to evict that same spirit out of our own heart in our day. Now, the thing I love about Pastor Malachi is 
he said this when it came to honoring God with our giving. He said, giving is actually a test. It's a test. Now, it's not a test God gives you. God does not give you the test. God says, I want you to give me the test. Isn't that amazing? I want you to give me the test and prove whether or not you can trust me. And 80% of the church today gives God an F. They've never even given him a chance to take the test. Take the test. Evict Tobiah out. And see if the one who's promised with his mouth is faithful to fulfill with his hand. And he is faithful. Let me, let me tell, and this is just, again, I told you I did not come with a prepared sermon. Normally, I would go through this thought a hundred times. I, I have preached this thought before. I'm not saying that. But I just woke up today and I'm like, I'm just going to say whatever comes to my mind about this story. Whatever comes to my mind. At our church, uh, it was about... I'm going to date myself here because y'all are such a young, hip church. I'm, we're not. We're old. <laughs> but it, I think it was probably about 2009. I preached a message, something like this. And I commissioned the church to give God the test for 12 weeks. And I'm, I'm not saying this here because this is not my right to do this. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying what we did at Seven Hills. And we said, you know, if you want to, try this and give God the test and if somehow you think I've tricked you or fooled you or I'm, I'm got an agenda here because at the end of the day God wants to build your homes he wants to build your lives he wants to bless you he's not trying to withhold from you I as a pastor in no way want you to do something in some way is going to be a negative in your life why would I want that you know I'd rather go back to the fields like they did in this story you know we we want we do this because we hope that somehow when we help you think about God correctly, it'll bring a blessing into your life. And so that's, and so we said, take 12 weeks and test God. And if for some reason he doesn't come through, at the end of that, you can come back and we'll, again, I'm not saying this because I didn't ask Jabin for this. I did not know I was going to say this part at all. And if you'll let me, I'll say it next service if, if it comes to mind. But, but um, if not, just tell me. Okay, so y'all are the guinea pigs. Um, so this year, so this would be 2023, so for 14 years we've done this. When I say thousands of people have taken me up on that challenge, and not to be uh, antagonistic or not to be um, insincere, but every year I kind of say, I'm just wondering if this will be the year somebody sends me the email. Because we just say, all you do is send an email. No questions asked. We give you a full refund. Because it's not mine. It's God's. I don't care. I just, I'm just curious if God's going to pass the test with you. It's his test. It's not my test. I don't know. He's the one that put it there. This year I think we had 
around 200 families take this. And every year it's been something around the same. So think about that. It's a lot of people. Not one person that's put God first in the area of their finances. Not one. Now take that back. There has been one, but they, they had a, a handicap. Uh, and, and when we found that out, we, we asked them to not do it. But that was, they, they, they misunderstood what was going on. But outside of that, outside of that, I wanted to be honest before God. There was that one thing, and it wasn't that, it really wasn't a giving issue as they didn't understand what was going on. They thought the church was a bank. So they kept calling and said, hey, I need to pay my, my electric bill. Can I, you know, anyway. So they just didn't get it. I just, I'm giving it you every sincere reflection that I can. Thousands of people. Besides that, not one. Wouldn't you think that I should have like 95% success rate? Wouldn't you think that? Don't you think like that would still be an A, right? We could still give God an A at 95%. But virtually 100% of people that truly, not because a preacher asked them to, but because in their own heart, they recognize Tobiah has moved into the storeroom of their heart. And generosity has moved out. Just a wrong spirit, a spirit of insult and mockery, a spirit that tries to, that's not excited about what God wants to do in this house and amongst his people. Ultimately, a spirit that leads to what? It decreases their passion for God and it decreases their compassion for people is where it ends up. But people that sincerely will do that, not one. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I'm not asking you to do that, what I would ask our church to do. But I am asking you to evict Tobiah out of your life. I am challenging you today to look at your heart, to look at your life. And is there a spirit that's trying to hinder the work of the Lord in your own life, in your own home, or in God's house? And I just felt like the Holy Spirit, like Nehemiah, wanted to come and evict Tobiah. Evict that mindset out of your life. Because God wants to send a revival into your life, a revival into your home a revival into your heart. And again, it's not about finances. It's about God being first in your time, God being first in your finances, and God being first in your home. Can we all put our hands on our hearts today? Jesus, if we put you down on the priority list somewhere, today we lift your name back up. Father, we lift you up today is the priority of our lives. And so I pray over every home, I pray over every life, I pray over every person that's here. And Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, if that spirit of Tobiah, that same spirit that tried to bring a curse on what God had blessed, Father, on Calvary, you blessed us. On Calvary, you hung and you died and you took on every curse. Every person in this room is under the hand of God's favor, 
under the hand of blessing because of Calvary. Father, you took on every curse of our sin, our rebellion. You took it all on when you died on that horrible cross and you've released blessing into our life, into our heart, forgiveness, new beginnings, restoration. And so, Father, we ask that you now would begin to help us remove anything out of our lives that would not give you full and complete and total priority in every area of our life, in our homes, in our time, in our talent, and in our treasure. In Jesus' name.